in a world where you have a totally awesome character that no one has ever seen and can't even imagine, there's Hero Forge. Hero Forge makes the character in your brain a character in your hand and on the table. Oh my god, it's Bugbear Grills! If you want an awesome Hero Forge mini, go to heroforge.com slash RPGbot. Do it, you nerd! Welcome to the RPG Bot Podcast. I'm uh, your host, as always, Ash Eli, and with me, as always, is Tyler Campstra. Hi, everybody. I feel like we're missing someone. We are. Where's Randall? Randall? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, normally I keep him chained to his desk, but currently I think he's in a car. You like chaining people to their desk, don't you? It's uh, it, just a thing you like doing. It boosts productivity. The beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> All right, uh, Tyler, what is happening? Well, tonight we have a special guest, Kelsey Dion of the Arcane Library, and we're here to talk to Kelsey about her recent project, Shadow Dark, a massively, massively successful Kickstarter mm-hmm. for a very, very cool game that I'm very excited about. So, Kelsey, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So, a little bit about Kelsey. Uh, Kelsey founded the Arcane Library in 2017. She's a platinum best-selling author on DMs Guild with several adventures to her name. Um, among the popular ones, The Secrets of Skyhorn Lighthouse and The Corruption of Skyhorn Lighthouse, both of which I've taken a peek at. They look pretty great. Go check them out. <laughs> like I said earlier, she's most recently the creator of the Shadow Dark RPG. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Kelsey, where did Shadow Dark come from? Yeah, I was originally and when i was a kid kind of an old school gamer um i grew up playing some of the earlier editions and i grew up in southern wisconsin around people who played a lot of old school D&D because that was sort of the central zone of tsr culture back then so um i moved along with the editions as time went on and um eventually i started writing professionally for 5th edition and ended up getting a little nostalgic about the vibe of the games i played when i was a kid and um, I thought, well, you know, maybe I can hack 5e a little bit to try to bring in some of the mechanics that I thought would emphasize that style. And I just kept hacking until Shadow Dark happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with your with your personal history with the like old school games, early editions of D&D, um, why use 5e as a basis instead of going for an existing retro clone like Tunnels and Trolls or um, Castles and Crusades or something like that. Or Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Another great example. Yeah. yeah. There, there are so many excellent retro clones. And yeah. what, what ended up happening for me was I, I realized that one of the things I wanted to do was to make the old school style of gameplay maybe feel a little more approachable for people who had never played it. To me, the important element there brought in from 5e is a unified system. like designing the game around aiming to roll high generally on a d20 you know i didn't i didn't bring in much more besides the mentality of 5e in that regard the whole idea of unified system because the math is really condensed it's trying to be more on the scale of the basic expert um you know first edition and so that it was the mentality of 
roll high is always good, which the game was really designed around as a core. And that that turns out to be really impactful, I think, for people who are used to that style of play, which has really come about since third edition. That makes a lot of sense. So having read through the like the available quick start rules, um, like the mechanics differ quite a bit from 5e in some important ways. And it seems like there's been a lot of work put into this. I know you've been working on the Arcane Library for six-ish years now. Yeah. So how long have you been working on Shadow Dark specifically? So I would say about three years. So really about half the time I've been in business. But it was a secret project for a while. You know, I had terrible Google Drive drafts of unformatted <laughs> garbage and research. And I was sharing it with a couple close confidants and testing it with some friends kind of in pieces over the years. And I, I really never thought I would write a game system. So I, I kind of was reluctant to really call it that at first. Um, but I, you know, I hit a few moments where I realized that's really what I was doing and what I wanted to do. So it, it's been, gosh, three years of writing and and maybe even before that, about a year of commissioning artwork that ended up inspiring the writing. So yeah, a while. <laughs> so uh, you said you've uh, showed this to some other confidants. Uh, have you pulled in other talent to help you with this, aside from the commissioning of art, or has this been mostly a solo project? It's been, I would call it a solo project with mentors, because I, I have friends in the field who are game designers, um, like Hanker and Fernale from Runehammer Games has been hugely influential and he's in one of the playtest groups that I had been playing in for years where we would filter in a little bit of experimental stuff every so often. So um, he's been a huge mentor in the process as well as the other people in that group who are also adventure designers and game designers. But as far as actually writing it, I really set out to say I want to do it myself. And it was important to me to do it all myself because I feel like that was the only way I could ensure that the whole thing was very unified at a deep level. There, there are a lot of references between monsters and magic items and subtle story cues and stuff pulled from my own game world. And I just didn't feel like I could pass that kind of writing off to anybody else. And so it was a very personal project. For listeners who are maybe not familiar with Shadow Dark, what's a good uh, elevator pitch for the system and the world you've created? Yeah, I, I would call the system. Old school gaming modernized, which I guess I've heard other people say that about a system, but I really mean <laughs> I really mean modernized in the sense of trying to pull in sensibilities that have come about in the last few decades of game design while while making an extreme attempt to preserve the feel of old school gaming. So I really view it as maybe maybe even a polish on ideas that have been around for a long time but but could have been pulled together in a way that hopefully Shadow Dark achieves. I think you've hit that really successfully, in my opinion. Like, my my personal exposure to old-school gaming is pretty limited because I started on third edition. But, like, you read the stories, you read the older games, you read the retro clones, and, like, there, there's that, that really gritty, dangerous feel of the games. And I feel like Shadow Dark really, really does hit that. But if you're coming straight over from 5e, all of the mechanics are immediately understandable. Like. It, everything important works basically the exact same way except for the stuff that changes the feel like you mentioned the number scales smaller so like your your character's hit points are a lot smaller than 5e like you don't have a huge pool of spell slots or things like that your resources are all very limited so it's got that like 
dangerous, we're about to go do something scary kind of feel instead of like we're basically the fantasy Avengers going to kick in the door of this dungeon and have a good time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it definitely comes across as the more threatening sort of uh, D&D, which is kind of the old school feel. But I did notice that, you know, you list in your ethos for your game as darkness. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about how you make darkness sort of an integral mechanic to the game and how that affects play. So thank you, Ash. That's one of my favorite pages in the book where I kind of talk about the core design mentalities behind the game. And darkness is a principal one. It's a huge one. I, I have felt myself that darkness has become less scary over time with the additions, really because of the advent of infravision and dark vision and ways to sort of hand wave the scary darkness as an element that you need to plan for. And so I, that I, I thought to myself, we really have to just bring it back full force no dark vision, and make the environment and bringing torches and planning for the darkness an actually satisfying element of the gameplay. And that that became one of the most fun parts of the game, kind of some revelations about how to make darkness feel very immediate and pressing. Um, and it's the core of the, of the real-time mechanics, the, the ones that exist in the game. Yeah, that's that. That is interesting because um, you know, reading through it, it did kind of remind me. We were talked earlier about Lamentations of the Flame, Flame Princess. There's a hack for that one that I really like called Veins of Veins of the Earth, which really plays with different types of darknesses, and um, you know how darkness is kind of a character in and of itself, which is good. I don't think you see that a lot in you know, RPGs, darkness is just an inconvenience more than something that's supposed <laughs> to, you know, instill fear in people. So it's nice to see that more. Thank you. So how do your mechanics differ from 5th edition? Yes, they they differ not necessarily in mentality, but more in scale, I think. So the, the base me- mentality of 5th edition is roll high, do good. <laughs> And right, yeah. I wanted to keep that, but the numbers do start to scale. And there's what I, what I would call a little bit of bloat maybe in the amount of hit points, the height of the numbers you can reach and roll. So one of the major ways that Shadow Dark differs is that it tries to condense that and keep that within a much more limited range. So we don't have things like proficiency bonuses in Shadow Dark. We don't add ability score modifiers to damage. So what's happening is the numbers, the targets you need to hit are lower overall. They stay pretty consistent, so as you gain levels, things become easier as your bonuses increment a little bit, and I don't have to keep bumping up the numbers to keep pace with you. You actually do genuinely become better at achieving difficult tasks. And hit points can stay much more condensed because we don't have all this additional damage getting tacked on for no particularly necessary reason. Um, and that, that allows combats to go faster because you're not plowing through hit points uh, that are you know the size of a mountain. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. So would you say that like with dealing with smaller numbers, was it easier or harder to balance it in a way that felt both, you know, like you were making progression, but also so that the, the system still felt threatening. We didn't get away from ourselves in terms of these big numbers. How hard would you say that was? Gosh, I I think that it did present its own challenges. I don't know if it was harder than any other form of balance-based design, but yeah. it brought its own challenges for sure. You know, how can we make people have a, progress- a progression that isn't too slow or non-impactful 
but still it's something that's going to matter because you're working on a lot less of a playing field there. You know, one point of bonus in this game equates to a bigger impact. And so it kind of turned into a, a, a project of how can I spin out this incremental gain in a way that feels useful and isn't too much all at once, but mm-hmm. isn't climbing super high by the end. Like, you know, one a character that's really, really good at something might end up having only around a plus six or seven bonus at that particular task by the end of the game. So you had to keep it really, really reined in. <laughs> so I noticed, uh, like with the lack of proficiency bonus and other things like that, um, some very important checks are going to work very differently. So like uh, my fighter walks into a room with a long sword and goes to fight a monster. Like I'm not adding proficiency bonus to my attacks. It's just strength or dexterity or whatever it is. So h- how has that affected the number scale? Like ha- um, how does that play out in action at the table? Like are, are hit points that much lower to compensate? Um, do I still get a strength bonus to damage? Things like that. Um, how does that feel when you're actually rolling dice? More importantly, how easy is it to die in this system? <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> They're connected. <laughs> They're connected. Yeah, the, the lower numbers um, definitely make it easier to die. It's, it's not quite as punitive, I think, as earlier editions where you die at zero. Players do have some interventions they can make when you reach zero hit points. It, I would still say it's much easier to die than in um, something that has a really much more robust death save system like fifth edition. But the, the numbers have certain caps. So, you know, like Tyler was saying, a fighter is swinging a sword. He might have a plus four bonus on his strength. And normal characters who are peers of him would probably be facing those same limitations. So a fighter in particular gets specific bonuses to his lane. He's going to have bonuses that are coming in from outside of his strength bonus that make him better specifically at fighting. And so there's some there's some benefits to having the lower modifiers and the caps because what you can do is make the expert at something truly the expert. Their their bonuses stacking on top really do make an actual impact. Um, and it's not everybody racing to like a plus ten bonus. You know, they're the people who are not the experts at fighting are going to hit built in caps that can't exceed what a fighter can achieve. Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about characters because building characters in Shadow Dark is both similar and different from 5e. So, yeah, Kelsey, walk me through building a character. Yeah, I, I would say it's a pretty swift process once you get it down. It's um, rolling 3d6 for each stat. Um, by the rules, you go down the line. That's also the first thing people choose to hack or change their table, which is totally <laughs> fine. I endorse changing the way you do that if you want to. If you want to swap stats or assign stats, that's fine. But using 3D6 keeps the overall numbers lower, um, which is kind of an old school thing. And it keeps the bonuses more contained. Um, So you're doing that. You're rolling for hit points at first level. And you get to add maybe a little bonus from your constitution once, and that's it. And then one of the most important parts of creating a character is something called talents, which are when you choose a class, you are rolling randomly on a bell curve table to see kind of what your special power will be um, at first level. And you get these every other level as you're leveling up, but all of the progression is actually randomized. That was kind of a fun revelation for the game because it 
really removes the need to optimize your character. Like you have an excuse not not being optimal because you didn't choose <laughs> things you chose. It removes a lot of that pressure and it kind of forces characters to become emergent. Like you discover who they are as they achieve things and become more powerful. Um, and you you can allow it to happen without getting that optimization anxiety that a lot of people get, I think, where you feel like if I didn't plan my build and choose a perfect build and go through with it, then I'm somehow failing at playing this game well. It, it really just alleviates that entirely because it's not out of your hands. So I really like that. As somebody who spends most of their time writing about character optimization, I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I have opposite feelings, which is I don't care about optimization. <laughs> and yet I'm working for RPG bot. Yeah. Well, it can be fun. It's it's yeah. it's really fun to plan that kind of thing out, but I think it can be fun to let go of the control in that situation sometimes too. There's there's a place for both types. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned classes. Um, so how do classes uh, uh, differ in the system, or do they differ? And like, what classes are people able to choose? Right. the The main rulebook has the four core classes, which are the kind of iconic archetypes of D anD. d You have a wizard. You have a thief, which I think fifth edition people would know as a rogue. You have a fighter, and you have a priest who is a cleric, just by a different name. And that was for no particular reason. I just kind of think that priest <laughs> explains itself a little bit better to people who don't have a lot of experience with D&D vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, trying to make some small refinements where I can. And so you have those four as your main options. And they they really do reflect kind of the classic D&D vibe, I think. But they're not. there's not an attempt to really make them super balanced in in the sense that they can all have the same damage output or you know move as swiftly as each other it's more about designing them to be the best in their chosen lane um so that's that's one thing is you know there's not there's not a huge attempt at making them all feel similar there's actually the desire to have them feel very different in gameplay and be very very good at the things that they're supposed to be good at so i'm I say this frequently on the podcast, but I'm a wizard enthusiast. Uh, mm -hmm. So looking at wizards in Shadow Dark, they're very, very different from anything I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, can you can you tell us a bit about how spellcasting works in Shadow Dark? Yeah, it's it's a roll to cast system, which means that you don't have spell slots like you do in um, ordinary D and D up through the editions. So this is more similar to maybe how Dungeon Crawl Classics does it. Um, where a wizard has a bonus, it's it's a lot like how a fighter actually rolls an attack. You know, a fighter would have an attack bonus, they swing their sword. Well, a wizard has a spellcasting bonus. Um, they, they make a check against a DC, and the DC is always set by how difficult the spell is to cast. So if it's a really powerful spell, it's going to be, you know, a tier 5 spell, and the wizard has to hit a DC 15 check to successfully cast that spell. Um, and so what this allows you to do is do away with spell slots and um, spells per day, things like that, because you can continue to cast a spell until you fail a check to cast that spell. And then you can no longer cast that spell. So this adds some unpredictability to the way the magic works, the way the wizard calculates out their resources. And I think it makes magic a little more scary and, and fun, personally. I think it adds more risk to spell casting. Because if you fail really badly, there are possible consequences. Um, so you always have to think a little carefully about if you want to try to cast that spell. 
Let's see. So we've talked about the issue of why isn't everyone a wizard on uh, previous episodes of the podcast. And I, I feel like this gives us a really good answer. It's because it's hard. And if you mess up, you might just explode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or you could go the Simbaroom method where casting magic literally corrupts you and causes you to die. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it's dangerous. Is the point. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's risky. Yes. Uh, so, all right. So, so as someone who, who, I can't stop myself. If I end up playing this game anytime soon, I'm going to go in as a wizard. Yes. Um, of and course. I'm, I'm going to start with three tier one spells. And mm-hmm. I roll like garbage, notoriously. So I'm going to lose all of those spells almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, so as a spellcaster, once I've burned through my tiny number of spells per day, what do I do? Like, can I, can I still grab a weapon and be meaningfully useful if a fight breaks out? Or do I need to like think of something more creative you have well you really have both options i think that one of one of the things that is important in this game is that you actually do not add your strength modifier to melee damage and half the reason for that was to keep hit points low but also to make non-combat classes actually able to still help out in combat so (laughs) if you're a super scrawny wizard you can still clock somebody with your staff and actually harm them and you know so that that makes them a little bit more viable but it is true that if a wizard loses all their spells and they're low level they can feel a little bit out to sea so there there are some safeguards built in for wizards and and priests so that that's not just you know an instantaneous thing that happens there's a luck subsystem and wizards, their their main damaging spell, they usually have advantage to cast it. But I, you know, I try to keep them from totally losing all their magic right out the gate. But it does happen. <laughs> so you, then you take your dagger out and start stabbing, and you can get away with it. <laughs> all right, Tyler, the stab wizard, got it. <laughs> Another question I have related to Tyler playing a stab wizard now <laughs> is: How likely is he to survive in combat? <laughs> At low levels, uh, I think that. All it takes is one hit to knock you down when you're a wizard, but um, you you don't die right away. You d- your friends can help you, um, so won't. that's at least a thing. <laughs> Love you too, Ash. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so highly lethal. Um, so I I think I said this when when we met at GaryCon, but um, like I can see a lot of similarities here with Merc Borg, where Merc Borg, you're you're character is immediately destined for the paper shredder like as soon as you write them down but shadow dark by comparison feels like there there's always that risk like you're one step away from immediately dying but there is a reward for surviving like there is a progression you can get better and succeed death is not the assumption it is it it seems very likely but it is not the baseline assumption of the game Yes, that that's true. That's a mentality where I don't want characters to die. I don't think any game master running Shadow Dark, you know, there are some, but I don't think anyone really <laughs> wants the characters to die. It's just, it's the, the fun is the challenge of piloting an imperfect character up into a, a stronger standing. That's, that's one of the really fun parts of it, actually, is keeping your one hit point wizard alive and you <laughs> get to tell the story of how you went through the entire dungeon and managed to survive and come out with your XP and actually gain some hit points and a level. So. <laughs> All right, so how does the future look for Shadow Dyke? Like, what do you have on the horizon? Uh, I know that it was overwhelmingly funded. Ha- ha- has it been released yet, or are you planning to release it soon? 
the PDF is already out. It's totally done and published. Oh, wow. The full book, actually, everything, all of all of the material is fully written. All the there's several zines and other little adventures with it, and some extras. So that's all out there in PDF form. And now we're just moving into the production and fulfillment side. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be the the next fun stage of the project. There's always exciting and unknowable things with that part of it, but. I'm excited to to already have that ball rolling and to see these books hopefully out before the end of the year. I'm I'm thinking probably by the fall actually is, is oh, the goal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We'll have links in the show notes about the PDF. Um and if you're listening to this podcast around fall, go out and get the physical copy. Go do that. <laughs> you can do that right now. <laughs> That's that's something Randall would say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Kelsey, you mentioned you have some zines out. Um, I believe it's called The Cursed Scroll. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my most favorite things to write because I know I just wrote a game system, but I actually <laughs> am originally an adventure designer. And uh, half the reason I wrote Shadow Dark is because I wanted to write a system that I would love to write adventures for. And that's what Curse Scroll zines are. They're um, they're kind of like micro settings. So they're each they're each exactly sixty eight pages. That's as big as I can make it, and still have a staple like lay flat binding. So they're all going to be that big, and they each come with a theme. So the the first one is kind of spooky witches and demons, um, and uh, so much fun to write that one. And it has a hex crawl in it. Has a few new character classes that are all themed on that. It has an adventure and just supporting material that fits that vibe. So the the next one along is kind of a desert setting in that same vein. It's got the hex crawl and adventure. Um, and the third one is uh, more of a, I guess, more of a northern Vikings type setting um, of that same style. Very cool. So w- are you planning to make a public license for this system like the ORC OGL or something else? Yeah, we have one. We have one. It's the the Shadow Dark RPG third party license. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very descriptive. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> own license. And that was, you know, that that's been a fun thing, a fun side element of all of this because I really want people to to publish for the game and I I made a career using the OGL to publish 5e material and things have changed now, but it would make me so happy to think that somebody could make a career out of writing for Shadow Dark and have their own business and it really, I made the license as open as possible and as full of access to the rules as possible to support that because it wouldn't it be wouldn't it be amazing to think that somebody was making a living writing for your game? I, that that would be to me a dream come true. All right, thank you so much, Kelsey, for joining us. Thank you. I had so much fun uh, talking to you guys about this. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, of course. Where can uh, where can people find you? Yeah, I you can find me on the arcanelibrary.com that links out to my socials and the the Kickstarter is still taking late pledges for Shadow Dark. Um right now we're speaking in May and that should be the case at least through early June. So you can check that out on Kickstarter as well. Awesome. We'll have links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find the affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us make this show happen every week. It's really hard to read stuff and then say it coherently. I can barely do it. I wrote this. Why can't I say it? Oh, no. I'm living in my own purgatory.